Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I'm going to invite my lovely wife to come and read for us this morning. I'm reading from John 20, verse 1 to 18 this morning. Early on the, first, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the first tomb. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying, As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this moment today. Thank you for your life, your goodness, your grace. Thank you that you revealed yourself to this amazing lady. You continue to reveal yourself to this world. You are a God who doesn't hide away. You continue to reveal yourself. You continue to reach out. You continue to call out. I thank you that your grace and your love never stops reaching and never stops calling today. We give you praise and honor today. We worship and adore you, God. Amen. Turn on my Bible, Kent. Thank you. Thank you. Just, as I was reading that scripture, I realized it's an amazing, amazing scripture. But as every husband will know, it's not the last time that man ever asked, woman, why are you crying? Sorry, married man joke. <laughs> Why are you crying? No, just us, okay? <laughs> we need marriage boot camp. It's okay. <laughs> but um, it's Easter, and uh, we had an amazing time on Friday morning for those who came out, and really amazing to see what God has done and continues to do. And as we've had this weekend, we had a, 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 there's a team of this church that minister and hold meetings and, and come together and do soup kitchens into Danoon. And we've actually got a video of them celebrating and having a time to, yesterday. And I just saw this video and I thought it was an incredible time of worship as, as Jesus was lifted high. Can I show you that video? Is that exciting? 
just to see what God is doing with this community. Just watch it yesterday. I mean, besides Bunty going off on the notes, on the singing his heart out there, I just, I love this community. I love what God is doing in our city. And actually, can we take a moment today? Jesus, I pray for every community that's meeting this morning. I pray for every believer that's coming to. I pray for those that are on journeys of seeking. I pray for every denomination, and I pray for every church that worships your name. And I ask this morning, will you fill your houses? Will you fill with your presence? Will you pour out salvation fire this morning? Will you call sons and daughters home in every church of this city and this nation this morning? We thank you, King. Amen. So this morning started out interestingly, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to start awkwardly for some, maybe. Can we just have the picture of my motor vehicle this morning? I thought I'd come to church early, get ready, and I arrived to find my car glad wrapped. I don't know if they thought it was a hot cross bun or they just got confused. But I mean, I'm enjoying the young guys. We actually came to the front office and it was ambushed. I know. What they don't know is there's a camera right over. And we will show that footage too, don't worry. There will be a day. There will be a day. And, and we're really excited. This is Easter. It's an amazing morning. We've got some news and um, we're expecting. No, no, no. No, we're expecting a great day. Sorry, it's not mine. Gabriel told me to do it. I apologize to my wife. was like, it's okay. Relax. It's okay. Anyway, we need to get to the word again. We're like... This is not good. But I had two encounters with two amazing people this week. And one of them lives in my neighborhood. And we started talking. And they had a real challenge with the church. And um, so they thought, who else to speak to but the pastor on the road? And her opening lies was, I'm just talking to you. Even though I believe in science, I'm talking to you. And then she started telling me how she couldn't believe that I needed this religion thing. And uh, how could, she, she says, <laughs> exact words were, you look like someone who could stand on your own two feet. Why do you need this, Jesus? I was like, okay, I think there's a compliment in there. Not sure, but that's cool. And I started talking about Jesus and this relationship. I tried to explain the cross and try to explain this love. I, I then engaged another man who, who struggles um, with the church, and I was trying to encourage him around the story. And he just, the, the, he sent me another message, and the finishing line of the message was, I really don't get you, Lot. I don't, and, and you know what? Easter is about people who are asking questions. Easter is about people who are searching. Easter is about people who believe in science, but they actually need a savior. Easter is about actually the death and resurrection that changed the potential of every life. For not just this life, but for eternity. Easter is about the love and the, the radical, crazy, audacious love of God that he would pour out his son at this time so that those who are far from him, so those that actually think that actually Jesus is for those who cannot stand on their own two feet, might come. Before him and engage his love and his grace and his mercy. 
My response to those individuals is, honestly, I don't mind if you don't get me. That comes with being a disciple of Jesus. It's just what it comes with, the territory of being misunderstood. And actually, I don't mind if you get the church. I don't mind. But start the journey because you do need to get him. You have to get him. It's really important that you get him and you get his understanding, his grace, and his love. And we read this amazing scripture of John chapter 20 where Jesus appeals to Mary. And, and Mary is weeping because she thought he was dead. And there's this, this reality that Jesus comes back into the story and everything changes. I, I want to tell you that the gospel we believe in and the gospel of this word is a gospel that everything changes. Everything changes. And maybe today you've been dragged to church by family. It's the once a year. I met a man on Friday. He tells me, I love your church. I come faithfully twice a year, Christmas and Easter. I said, it's great to have you. <laughs> Coffee's on the house. I love that. I, I'm happy with that. But I'm not happy that you stay there. Because actually you don't need a relationship with the church. Primarily, first and foremost, you need a relationship with Jesus. And then you realize he's got this community thing that he's building that is so different to the world. And actually, you need him. And we get pulled in many different ways, but he calls her name, Mary. When he, when he calls Lazarus out the tomb, he says, Lazarus, come out. Maybe he's calling your name today. Maybe he's calling your name today. Jesus doesn't play by the rules. He comes and he breaks every rule. He breaks the rule of death, which changes everything forever. And so we celebrate today because actually there was this gruesome crucifixion on Friday. And it's hard as believers to come to church and we're trying to remember, but actually we know that he's alive, but we're called to be those who remember. And I think it was far more gruesome than the Passion, old Mel Gibson's play. Although once one of the guys at a church I had decided to play the Passion, it didn't end well. People were weeping, kids were running out. We won't play the Passion at church just yet. But I think it was far more gruesome than that. Actually, Isaiah 52 said, actually, he was beaten beyond any point of recognition. Every stripe, back and front and arms and disfigured, broken. The real crucifixion was far more violent. And everything we believe as Christians, everything rests on this one fact. Jesus died and Jesus rose. Jesus rose again. Everything hints on that fact. Without Jesus rising again, we have nothing. We have nothing. And as we come today, it's a reminder and it's a reality that I believe, and we sang that amazing song, I believe that Jesus rose again. I do. I believe it. I remember going back to my 20-year reunion. At my 10-year reunion, I was a marketing manager. They thought that was okay, who did Jesus on the side. And my 20-year reunion, 20-year reunion, I was a pastor. And some of my mates just couldn't get it. They just couldn't, couldn't get it. What is this thing? And eventually you try to explain, and it's about this is what you do. And, it's about, and eventually my one mate, so I just told him, I said, but I really believe Jesus died and he rose again and he did it for you. The gospel for me is summed up, Jesus died for me and Jesus died for you. And he knows your name. He knows your name. He's not the leader of a religion looking to start a movement where he could become famous. He died for you, the one. He died for the woman at the well. He died for the person who was caught in adultery. We got on the ground. He died for them, and he died for you, and he died for me. The gospel and Easter isn't just about gruesome reality of the cross. It is the most audacious generosity this world will ever know and could ever know. As his blood was poured out. Nobody expected him to rise. Jesus died for you, whether you've made a decision to follow him or not today, sir or ma'am.
He died for you. Whether yesterday you did the most dastardly thing, that shame and guilt is all over you today. I'm telling you, He died for you. Whether you are currently worshiping another God, maybe yourself, He died for you. And He rose again for you. And I want to speak about a few things of the Easter weekend and just some of the elements of the crucifixion. First of all, the nails on the cross. Secondly, the, tomb, the, the stone that's rolled away. And I want to end with an empty tomb this morning. Just a few encouragements and reminders of what Jesus has done for us. In John chapter 20, it says this, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nails the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So one of the most graphic images that haunts me about the cross is the image of creation hammering a nail into creator. Is the image of broken, sinful man arrogantly taking a nail and savior of the world the one who could commanded the angels to come in an instant, he could have spoken to the earth to rise up and swallow them up, allowing himself to be nailed onto a cross. Each nail deep through bone and flesh. You know, Jesus does say, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. But you know what it doesn't say? You know what? What is the difference between taking up a cross and being crucified is one thing, those nails being driven in. And the cross has said that never again do any nails have to be driven through me. Because my Savior got on a cross and took every nail that I deserved. And then the challenge is these nails are around. They're legitimate nails around. Coming into our story, the Bible says actually any area of sin is a potential nail that can be driven into our hands, into our feet, onto our cross. Everyone. What about... Let me give you an example of now. What about pride or self-reliance or depression or fear, anxiety? You see, Jesus comes as a savior and he says, I identify with my people in every way. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with reality. We don't have a priest who is out of touch. There are nails around us all the time. And one of them that I want to just touch on this morning that is touched on the cross. And Jesus presents a precedent for all those who would claim to be his followers, to be his believers. He sits on that cross. He's not, not sitting on the cross. He's nailed to a cross. Blood is pouring out, and he, with these nails in his arms, he shouts out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want to encourage us this morning, whether you worship Jesus or whether you don't, that there's a truth that God is dealing with a nail of unforgiveness and has to deal with a nail of every time we remember the cross. Every time. And Jesus models some things for us. He says, everyone in here has nails or potential nails. Everyone carries a cross. But too many stay nailed to that cross. Our Easter is about, is about us walking beyond the cross. Easter is about us walking beyond a stone that's rolled out. Easter is beyond walking out of a tomb. It's about calling into life. And I want to just address one thing. If whatever you take away this morning, as we worship the Savior, if there's areas of unforgiveness that we're holding on to, the Bible comes and Jesus says in Matthew 5, actually, I don't want you to just forgive those that it's easy to forgive. The guys you love and the guys you know. Actually, I want you to love and pray for your enemies. Yeah. That's what the gospel did. That's what the cross did. It gave us the ability to access yeah. 
the presence of God. It gave us the ability to understand his nature, his character, and to step into more. It gave us the ability to overcome, actually, the nails that are there waiting to be nailed in. God says, actually, I want to take you beyond. Second thing I just want to touch on before I get to the tomb is there's this heavy stone in the narrative that is rolled away. And historians will say it's probably two tons heavy, which is not actually the issue. The issue is what they would do is they would build a tomb and they would have an entrance of about five to six foot. And the stone would be rolled into that, but it would be rolled into a groove. Why? So that actually that stone would never move. I want to tell you today, where they received the love of God, there are some overcoming of stones that have been rolled into grooves of lives today that is accessible because of the cross. Situations that have happened, circumstances that have broken. And it's like there's these whole areas of lives. I'm a pastor. I get the privilege of hearing people's most challenging times sometimes. Sometimes when no one else knows. And the hardest thing is to look back on some of those stories well, the best thing is to look back on some of those stories and say, look what God did. Look what he did. It didn't matter what the circumstance was. It didn't matter what the circumstance It didn't matter how heavy the stone was. Oh, my dad did this to me. My mom did this to me. They left me. Yeah, those are stones that get rolled across everybody's. And there will be stones that are potentially going to be rolled across tomb doors. But my best part is when I look back and I see what Jesus has done. I look at my wife's life. It's coming out of brokenness, coming out of a not knowing a father. And I saw month after month we'd go home and visit her family. And every time we'd visit her family, say, something's changed, something has changed. I said, yes, God has rolled away the stone, the heavy stone that was stuck in a rut. Jesus is more powerful than the heavy stones stuck in the rut, covering up your life. And there are these difficulties. But the only way past those stones, the only way for that stone to be moved away out of your life, whether it is challenges of brokenness or pain, the only way is by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You might find three steps in Cosmo or five steps in men's health. Men need more steps. That's why I used five steps. They do. They don't read the steps. That's the problem. But actually, the world will give you a million answers. But I'm telling you, and the message of the cross and the promise of the cross is actually there's only one way to roll away those stones. It's not by our own strength and it's not by our own abilities. First of all, the... We gain bold access to God in worship and prayer. Hebrews tells us we have confidence to enter the holy places. I cannot enter the holy places. Why? Because on my own, outside of the blood of Jesus that washes me clean, I am not holy. Outside of Jesus, I'm an arrogant man. Outside of Jesus, I will use people. Outside of Jesus, all these things. But I'm pulled into his story, washed by his blood, and the stains and the blemishes of my past are washed away. Secondly, his blood it's the forgiveness of sins. And Ephesians tells us, in Him, we have redemption by the blood. In Him. Only in Jesus and only by His blood. Not by our greatest efforts. See, people trying really hard. Doing amazing things. Articles of people doing amazing things to save the world. And the challenge of it is, I'm going, the gospel tells me, His truth tells me, His word tells me it's only by His blood. I believe it. Third of all, our consciences are cleansed. You need a cleansed conscience this morning, so man. The only way is by the blood of Jesus. Not hypnotism, not uh, science. Science can't help you. Hebrews tells us how much more will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I need my conscience purified. I need the blood of Jesus to wash my life all the time. Oh, but you're a pastor and you've been saved most of your life and you don't even know. No, 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 no. This thought, this mind goes places. Places I'm not proud of. Places that if they were zoomed up on this projector screen and you could see where your pastor's mind has gone at times, going, ah, oh, God, could you just hide it away? I said, no, but, but when the Father in heaven looks, when the Father in heaven looks, he sees the blood of Jesus drenched over me. He sees the perfection of heaven. He says, come on, son. Walk again. Run again. We are progressively cleansed from more and more sin. Jesus also suffered in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Hebrews 13. We are able to conquer the accuser of the saints. And we are rescued out of our sinful way of life. You, 1 Peter 1. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus like the lamb without blemish or spot. Thank you for the blood, Lord. Thank you for your blood. I want to speak this morning about the best part about the resurrection, that Jesus came out of that tomb. And Jesus is calling people to keep coming out of tombs. And the best thing about it is is that many people get off the cross and they find salvation, they find freedom, they find life, and they find breakthrough in many of the stories. But as I've walked with people, there are these tombs that people remain in. Tombs of regret, tombs of despair, tombs of anguish, tombs of depression. But when I look at the gospel and we look at the promises and when I look at Jesus with Lazarus and I look at Jesus in himself, he came out of that tomb and he is calling men and women out of these tombs. Saying you can't live life from a tomb. A tomb is a dark, small space. Tombs of pain, tombs of anguish. I've been hurt by this person. I've been hurt by this person. Yes, the Bible says you're going to be hurt. But in Jesus and in his blood, there is healing and there's wholeness. Now get up and walk again. Come out of the tomb. It's the greatest word I've ever heard in my life. Come out of the tomb. When I was 19 years old, I grew up in a privileged home. We didn't want for, for, we were able to have meals on tables and go to schools and all that kind of stuff. And at 19 years old, my parents lost everything. And everything changed in an instant. One day my dad told me we were in trouble. Three days later, the sheriff took everything. Everything. Every dream I had, everything was taken in an instant. Maybe your tomb looks different. This was a potential tomb for me. And as a 19-year-old man, I got angry. And I made a decision. I will not end up in a tomb of financial despair and chaos. So I'm going to work really hard. And it looked really good to a whole bunch of people around me. It looked like success. It looked like working really hard. It looked like putting my head down and using the gifts God had given me. We find such amazing ways to paint our tombs. But ultimately, it was just a tomb of fear. A tomb of fear that God wasn't faithful, that He wouldn't provide. A tomb of fear that actually with my whole life ahead, I cannot trust Him with that. And it took a couple of years of his truth pouring over my heart, of hearing a message of a father who is how much more with the father in heaven. As that message poured, I realized I had to come out of the tomb. And I hear these words, come out of the tomb. Because you can never bring life when you're living in a tomb that is small. It's too small a space. But we get comfortable in tombs. We get comfortable in our tombs. I'm so justified. You know what man is so good at? You just have to be on Facebook for about 12 minutes to realize we are so good at self-justification. Like we are unbelievably good 
It's self-justification. I'm justified in feeling this way. I'm justified in being angry. I'm justified in being angry at this politician. I'm justified in being angry at this sports star. I'm justified. No, no, what are you, where are you justified? You've been washed by the blood of Jesus. You have access to the throne room of heaven. And I want to tell you that the evidence of the perfection of the cross wasn't the cross, it was an empty tomb. And the evidence of the perfection of the cross in my life It's not keeping pointing back to the cross. It's the evidence of empty tombs in my life. Because in every one of our lives sitting here today, there is the potential for multiple empty tombs. And God is calling us out of the tombs. And the cross calls us. And the resurrection calls us. And Jesus is shouting, come out of the tomb. Why did this happen to me? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, sir. Why my daughter? I don't know, sir. But you've got to come out of the tomb. You've got to come out. And um, tombs, some of the tombs today, maybe it's a tomb of secret sin no one knows about today. Just that secret little roaring line we keep hidden away from everyone. Easter is an opportunity, not because of holidays or food or because of what Jesus did on his cross and the resurrection power of his blood. I want to tell you what is another tomb is religion religion. And if you're here today and this is your religious act twice a year, it's amazing to have you here. But I want to tell you, religion is a tomb. Christianity is not about religion. Christianity is not about following the rules. Christianity is not staying in the boundaries of what's right and what's wrong. Jesus broke every one of those. He rose from the dead. Christianity is about having a relationship with the only one who can cleanse your conscience, with the only one who can save you, with the only one who can make a way to have a relation with heaven. Religion is a tomb. Come out of the tomb. Engage. Jesus. But I want to say that the Bible speaks clearly that two of the greatest powers to hold us in tombs is guilt and shame. We've covered a lot of ground this morning, but I want to touch on these and ask God to minister in this space. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I'm amazed In John, there's this picture of the disciples coming in. It's the last supper, and Jesus knows what's going on. And Judas, the disciple who's already betrayed him, he's already betrayed him, he's already set it up, is at that table, and Jesus says, actually, what I'm going to do now, I'm going to wash your feet. I'll wash all of your feet, including you, Jesus. He didn't tell Judas what was going on, but he washes his feet. You see, I, I look at Jesus, I think Jesus could have already been in a tomb. He could have already had his heart mangled up by this guy he's loved for three years, and yet he chose to access the love of the Father. God is calling us to a story that's so much bigger. He's calling us to a story of love and his freedom. After that, verse 5, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he wrapped around them. It says even then that Jesus put those clothes back on. He used his own clothes to wash their feet. And then he put those own clothes. The savior of the world. I don't know about you, but that fascinates me. I don't think the Bible wastes words. But the resurrection deals with our guilt and shame. So many Christians live in tombs because of what they did two years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. I've sat with men 
sat with men on their dying deathbeds, confessing things that happened years before. And I'm going, God, how under 50 years of preaching the gospel did this not come out? But why we get so good at leaving it in the tombs? Guilt is this objective feeling that I've done something wrong. I know that I've done something. It's wrong. Actually, most people don't struggle with guilt. But then there's the thing that lingers. It's a kicking into shame. And shame follows guilt. Shame becomes more than just, I know I've done something wrong. It is the subjective reality that it kicks in. And it's part of who I am now. I am that person who did something wrong. I am that broken person that would do a thing like that. It's tragic watching these young men, Australian cricketers, going, for the rest of my life, I will live with the guilt and shame of what I've done. Each through one of them. For the rest of my life. I'm like, no, so you don't have to. You don't have to. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus. He can set you free from that guilt and shame. Man can think what they want, but they don't have to get you. They have to get him. And we kick into a story that brings us into so much more. See, the cross deals with my guilt and the the ramifications of my actions come in. And Jesus says, actually, I'll take your sin. What was the cross? The cross was Jesus saying, I'll take your sin on me. And every stripe that was lashed upon the perfect Savior redeems me. And then he says, I'm not just going to redeem and take away your sin. I'm going to give you my righteousness. It's scandalous, guys. The grace of God is scandalous. How can he make me righteous? I know that I'm not righteous. But the book writer of Hebrews says, actually, you are perfect being made holy. You are perfect. In the eyes of the Father, when the Father sees you, you are perfect. Oh, Mark, but you don't know what I did last night. No, if you are in the blood of Jesus, repent, fall on your knees before him, access the grace of God. But when the Father looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus. And then go on the journey of becoming holy. Allow him to to bring life and freedom in your life. So we get freedom from our guilt. We get the righteousness of heaven. And the implication is Jesus takes our shame. On that cross, naked. Before his creators. Not on some high cross we like to think where people are the boundary lines of a, like a concert kept away from the scene. No, in their face, spitting at him. The savior of the world. He took our shame. He bore our shame. This has to get so deep down inside of us, guys, because even in this room, there is pain and shame from guilt that is riddling and keeping people in tombs. And today is about a Savior who calls us out of tombs into life. Into life. Oh, you've got tombs in your marriage? You've got tombs in, 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 in your ways of business. You don't know how I did business 20 years ago. Yeah, well, he does. What does the Bible say? Repent and access the grace of God and let it wash. Oh, Mark, I was a bad parent. Yeah, well, access the grace and the goodness of a perfect, glorious father and allow him to wash away your shame. Not just a song we sing. I read a story this week about a man. It's actually, it's devastated me. His name was Keith Murdoch. Anyone read the story? Maybe we can put up the picture of this man. Those were his glory days. 110, 112 kgs, 6 foot 4 prop for New Zealand. Highest honor in his nation. A New Zealand rugby player in New Zealand, all 15 of them are more important than the president. And his claim to fame, the only all black ever to be sent home from a tour. The only one in a hundred and whatever many years 
the only one ever to be sent home. He got excited having one too many beers, ended up fighting a local pub because they wouldn't deal, serve him, and he got sent home. And in that journey, he could not face up to the guilt and shame of what he'd done and the shame of going back to a nation that prided itself on the behavior of their all blacks. So instead of getting on the connecting fight in Australia, he jumped off the flight and never went home to his home nation. Never. And he started wandering around the Australian outback. And in the vastness of the Australian outback, this guy found his tomb. He died this week at 74 years old. And the tragedy for me is not that he died. The tragedy is that he never lived because of guilt and shame. And the cross speaks to our guilt and shame today. And the resurrection of Jesus speaks to our guilt and shame today and says, come out. You've got to believe. Believing is not just saying, yay, Jesus my Savior. Believing is believing the implications of Jesus my Savior, of washing of the blood. That is what believing is. I look at this picture, I see a man in his prime, and because of an action of craziness and stupidity, spends a life walking around the Australian outback, hiding from reporters. They were so intrigued, the, Austra- the New Zealand media were so intrigued by this man, one lady's even a book, written a book called Finding Murdoch. As they, year after year, would try to find him and locate him, see if he was still alive. Intrigued by this reaction to the guilt and shame I pray for these three young Australian cricketers. I pray they would counter the grace of God. Because otherwise, they won't live. Because of guilt and shame. But God wants to set many free in the same way. Repentance is a gift of God. Honestly, repentance is not, I'm so bad. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is, actually, I know this is wrong, and I know I am wrong, and I need to turn to God. Metanoia, to change my thinking, to turn back to Him. He's calling us. It's a great gift. Why the cross? The guilt of my sin, the shame of it cannot withstand. Just one glance. Why do I love Easter? Because people are forced to look at the cross again. And people are forced to make a decision. Do I believe or don't I believe that Jesus rose from the dead for me? And I want to tell you just one glance of the cross. Just one glance of that cross. Just one glance of the man who hung upon that cross. And all the shame and all the guilt that the accuser could throw for all my days are taken by Jesus. The tragedy of that man and the tragedy of many who access even the grace of God is that it's not that we die, it's actually that we never lived. The cross calls us, and the resurrection of Jesus calls us. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, although they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks, Jesus asks, do you believe this? I ask you today, do you believe this? Oh, I come to church. Now, I'm not asking, do you come to church? I'm asking, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead for you? Do you believe his blood was washed? Oh, I, 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 I tick the box on national, um, what are those things where they census? I tick the box, Christian. When I'm applying for it, I tick the box. Now, I'm not asking if you tick the box, sir. 
I'm asking, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Can we close our eyes, please, just for a second? David wrote a psalm, Psalm 18, and he explains something of this journey for us. He says, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. Are you in deep waters today? Deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Just some incredible keys there. Jesus wants to rescue you today. Jesus isn't on the boat watching you drown, going, ah, he deserves it. Jesus is going, I've paid the price for him to live. I've paid the price for her to live. Come out of the cave. Come out of the tomb. Come out and live life. Come out of the smallness of brokenness. Come out of the smallness of your guilt and shame. I've paid that price with my blood. Every whip that hit me, I paid that price with my blood. Come out of the tomb today. out of the tomb today. Jesus 5, Romans 5 says this, maybe you see at just the right time, maybe today is just the right time. When you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I thank you, Jesus, this morning. Not one of us deserves it, God. Not one of us is that important. And yet, in your eyes, in the economy of heaven, you died for every single person, Lord. So today we remember and we say, thank you, God. Thank you, King. I want to ask this morning, if you're battling with guilt and shame, I want to pray that the blood of Jesus and the perfection of the cross would be a revelation that would set you free this morning. Not the zeal and the passion of a preacher, but the truth that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin left a wretched stain, but he washed it white as snow. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe it's failures of the past, divorce and business deals and maybe it's pains of the past, people who've who've hurt you, who've stolen from you, who've taken from you. Maybe it's things no one knows about. I want to tell you that guilt and shame keep us in the tomb. And Jesus got off the cross. He died, went into a tomb, took off a hundred pounds of gray clothes, and he walked out of that tomb so that men and women could keep walking out of tombs and into life. I want to pray for you if you're struggling with an area of guilt and shame. Maybe it's small, but I want to ask, would you step out of the tomb this morning? I think we have to start the journey. 
I think by faith, even responding, why would I ask someone to respond? Well, I think we're just responding to him and his grace invades as we